Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. We appreciate your presence. Um, it's Mother's Day, as we know, and uh, want to welcome all of you here. And we want to say a special thanks to all those who have uh, helped to raise uh, responsible uh, individuals. We appreciate all the work that goes into that. As I said, it's Mother's Day, and there are a lot of lot of people that celebrate Mother's Day in a lot of different ways, and and. Children often show their mothers in different ways just how much they mean to them. I remember hearing about a young man who just loved his mother. She, he appreciated everything that she had done for him, all the sacrifices that she had made. And so his way of honoring his mother was he said, you know what, when I, when I get older, I'm going to marry someone just like my mother. And uh, so he began the search for that perfect girl. And he brought home a lot of girls to mom, and they just didn't stack up. I mean, she wouldn't like them for one reason or another. And so he'd just be done with them. You know, if mom doesn't like them, I'm, I'm done. And, and he did that a number of, brought, brought home all kind of girls. Finally, he brought home one, and he said, Mom, I think you're going to like this girl. I mean, she reminds me so much of you in every way. And, and sure enough, they just hit it off. They had the greatest weekend, and um, Mom gave him a thumbs up. You know, this is the girl for you. And he thought he was out of the woods until he talked to his dad, but his dad didn't like her. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about some things this this morning that had to do with motherhood in, in a broad sense. Do you remember the book, Are You My Mother? Um, maybe some of you have that. Uh, I can remember sitting on my mom's lap and having her read to me this book. It's a, it's a, a book that was written by P.D. Eastman, and uh, it's a book about a, a bird that uh, is hatched, and it just so happens that when the bird was hatched, his mother was gone. And so he went on a search trying to find his mother. And he would come up to animate as well as inanimate objects and say, are you my mother? And for one reason or another, they would say, no, we're not your mother and, and or I'm not your mother. And, and the bird would go on and search. Now, if any one of those things had tried to be the mother to that bird... It would have been very hazardous. Uh, some of them, the bird would not have survived if, if this individual would have been its mother. The book finally ends with this little bird finally having success, and, and he locates his mother and asks her, are you my mother? And, and she says yes, and all was well with the world uh, at the end. I, I want to mention that and use that as a, a jumping-off point for this morning's lesson because if we can just kind of do a flip side of that, and in, in this, the child, the, the baby bird, was looking for, searching for its mother. And if we can metaphorically consider that search in reverse, I think there's a story in the Bible that, uh, in a metaphorical sense, uh, illustrates this as well. Um, there are two mothers, so to speak, who are desperately looking for our children. And they would love to have control and influence over our children. And the question 
that really hangs in the balance is which one of them is going to get to our children first. So that's what I want us to look at this morning. And if you have your Bible, you might want to go ahead and open it up to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Second Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Let's go ahead and read those three verses, and then I'll come back and give you a little bit of background as to what is taking place. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, And stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him in the nurse, and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Um, If you keep reading verse four, that son is then presented uh, seven years later, made king over uh, Judah. But l- let me give you just a little bit of background. You might say, what, what in the world is that all about? Well, it's about, well, it goes back to King Ahab. You remember Ahab, wicked king in Israel. And he had a wife, and she was just as bad as he was, maybe worse, Jezebel. And uh, these two were both wicked, and they had a daughter by the name of Athaliah. And she was probably just as much or more wicked than her mom and dad. And she was so wicked that here's what happened. King Ahab and Jezebel was trying to... They were in Israel, and then Judah was over here, and they were trying to make amends or to to form some kind of a treaty that would allow them to exist in peace. And so they give their daughter, Athaliah, to the king in Judah. It wasn't a marriage made in heaven. In fact, if you read your Bible, it talks about the man that she married, the king that she married, and it said he was a wicked king. And then it says, because he married Athaliah. I mean, she gets blamed for it in the scriptures. It wasn't just that he was wicked, but add to the fact that he married this wicked woman, bad stuff. And when he died, you know what she does? She had, well, the king, first of all, kills all of his brothers. Uh, He had six brothers. He killed every one of them so that he would be the king. He was already granted the throne. His father, before he died, said, you're the firstborn, the throne is yours, but I'm going to give to your brothers some cities and I'm going to take care of them, but you're the king. That wasn't enough for him. He still had to go out and murder all of his brothers so that there would be no threat to his throne. And when he died, Athaliah's son took over as king. And so she's kind of like queen mother now, and that's good. I mean, she's just sitting pretty, and everything's going well. Well, her son dies. And when her son dies, she says, I can't surrender my place as queen mother, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill the whole royal family. 
All the young men, all the, the children of the family of Omri, she says, I, I've got to put, and she ordered them put to death. But there was a woman, Jehosheba, who knew what was going on, and she stole away into the palace and into the king's nursery and took this child, Joash, and she hid him. And they hid that child for the next seven years. And Athaliah was reigning as king or queen at this time. She had the whole show to herself and just was loving it. And then when that boy was seven years old, they, they brought him and said, listen, here you go, or eight years old. This is the rightful heir to the throne. And she was then eventually destroyed and put to death because of her wickedness. And this young man took the throne and he brought about revival and restoration uh, to Judah at that time period. But here's the metaphor. There was a baby and there were two women who would have liked to have had that baby. One was Athaliah. And if Athaliah could have got her hands on that little boy, that little boy would have died. Athaliah had plans for that little boy, but they weren't good plans. She would have destroyed him. But there was another lady who also had plans for that little boy. But her plans were noble. Her plans were to save that little boy's life and to set him aside and protect him and to bring him to a place of honor. And it was a race. It became a race. Who's going to get the child Will it be Athaliah or will it be Jehoshiba? And as we see from the text, Jehoshiba got to that little boy first and hid him and saved him and protected him and he eventually came to the throne. Now, if I can use that story uh, as the backdrop for this morning's lesson, uh, I would like to do that. You see, today we still live in a time when there are two forces so to speak, two mothers, if you will, who are desperately chasing after our children. One is worldly, one is secular, one is godless, who would like to destroy and who has no good plan for our children. And if they get, or if that woman, that mother, gets a hold of our kids, it will result in ruin. But there's another mother who would like to bring that child to safety and to have it grow and to be uh, a man of God. And uh, it's a race. Who will get our children? Athaliah or Jehoshaphat? God has... Um, I want to share two two points, really, and then the lesson will be yours. But if we're going to save our children we're going to have to give diligence because there is, there's a race for our kids. There's a battle going on, a tug of war, so to speak, by these two mothers, one worldly and one godly, and they're pulling at our children. Who's going to win out? Who's going to win? Well, if we're to win, we've got to have two people involved. If, if, those who seek the good of our children, if, if that mother is to win, we need moms and dads that will step up to the plate and be godly parents. And we need the church 
to step up to the plate and be a godly influence and help to those families. Let's look at both responsibilities. Let's look at the responsibility that we have to our children. Um, Colossians chapter 3, 21, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, both of those passages teach that moms and dads have responsibilities. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition means to put in one's mind. When you admonish somebody, what you're doing is you're putting in their mind something that they need to know that apparently they missed. Well, when God says, train up your child and, and put in them the, the nurture and admonish the putting in the mind the Lord. As parents, we need to put the Lord in the minds of our children. What do you spend time doing with your children? Do you ever talk about God? Do you ever talk about Jesus? Do you ever recall the stories of the Bible? When you get in the car and you, you get those kids put down in their, their seats and, and buckled in and you're off on some trip, maybe a two-hour trip, do you ever just talk to them about Bible stories? Is it silence? Can, can we have a moment without the DVD player going on the back of the headrest or whatever it is? You know, can, can we talk about God? You, you don't have to do it on your trips. That, that doesn't have to be the time. You can spend that time however you'd like. But I'm saying there needs to be, there has to be a time in our life when we put in the mind of our children the Lord. When do we do that? And how often do we do it? Do we look for ways in which to do it? You know, I, I love Dr. Seuss books. We had those when I was a kid and, and I enjoyed reading Cat in the Hat and Go Dogs Go and, uh, you know, all those, um, Are You My Mother and, uh, Green Eggs and Ham, all those stories. See, we, I still, I know those books because I, I read those. Uh, those were good. Um, but might we also buy some books? If, if we want to teach our children how to read and to get engaged in reading and stuff, why not buy books that tell Bible stories and not just Cat in the Hat? I'm not saying don't buy Cat in the Hat. I'm saying there's a place for both, is there not? Why not take advantage of their their thirst for learning and knowledge and, and let them read out of some of the fascinating stories of the Bible written on their level in storybooks? Um, that's one way we can put the Lord in the mind of our children. There are just so many things that it just takes thought. And if we don't give it thought, I'm telling you, somebody else will beat you to our children. There's... Athalia, who is in pursuit of your children. We, we need to do our best as parents to bring up our children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Listen, it, it is not enough to provide a house, to provide clothes, to provide food and, and a good education to our children. If we provide all those things, and if that's all we provide, we have failed as parents. 
Those things are important and good, but they're no substitute for spiritual training. What good do we do if we teach our children how to, to be good students and we don't teach them how to be good children of God? What do we gain if we teach our children the need for spiritual training or, or we don't teach our children the need for spiritual training, but we teach them the need for training in academics and sports and whatever else, trivia. Um, there's a place for sports. There's a place for games and fun and extracurricular. There's a place for academics. There's a place for everything. Didn't Isn't that what Solomon said? There's a time and a place for everything under heaven. I'm not arguing against those things. What I'm saying is there's a place for God. And we need to fill the minds of our children with God. I know I've shared these illustrations with you before, but I think they drive home a point and, and I want to share them again. Because, you know, in, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8, there's a statement that Abraham made where it says that he built an altar and he pitched his tent. And, and you know, that, that building of an altar, that is something that is it's substantive. It, you don't move it. You build it. It's built out of stones and, and there it stands. You pitch a tent. You know, I, I might pitch it over here where, where you know, I, I like the lay of the land here. But first rain comes, I see that that's where the water drains. So I'm going to pick that tent up and I'm going to move it over here. Get it out of the water. Because you can just pitch a tent, but you build the altar, that place of worship. And if I can use that by way of illustration, I, I think we have done the opposite in our culture today. I think we have pitched our altars and we've built our tents. I think when it comes to social life and and what our kids are involved in and all these kind of things, if there's ever a conflict with our spiritual lives, who wins? Which gets moved? Which Which gets pushed out of the way? When does God ever win? When there's a conflict, it's in our lives, in our home lives, our children need to see God comes first. And, and, you know, I'm going to build my life around God and it's going to be a God-centered life. And that's going to stay. And I may have to make some adjustments in my personal life. Because my religious life is built. My preferences, they, they get pitched. And um, I, I think that's an important lesson for us today. I, I think, too, the story in Genesis chapter 22, where we were talking about this in Bible class just this morning, where God takes, or uh, Isaac is taken up on um, Mount Moriah by Abraham. And Isaac says, well, where's the, where's the animal? Um, and Abraham says, well, actually, um, you, uh, you're, you're the one. I'm going to lay you down and I'm going to put the knife in you. And like I've said, I, I wish I knew what happened and how that came down. Did they wrestle over it? Did, did Isaac just willingly let, I, I don't know. But anyway, Isaac's laying down on this altar and Abraham is ready to, to plunge that knife. And God says, stop. The angel of the Lord said, stop. 
But here's what I want to take from that story. I dare say that Isaac, for the rest of his life, remembered that day. That would have been so etched into his memory that he would never forget that. There are things you don't remember about your childhood. There are things that you can't... Listen, You day after day after day for 18 years maybe you lived in your home and there are very few days that you can actually remember. There are very few events when you you know, compile all those days. How many do you actually remember? Well, probably not very many. But I dare say Isaac remembered that one. Even when Isaac was old and ready to die, if he had his mind, he could have told you about that day. Because, man, you don't forget something like that. On that day, Abraham convinced his son Isaac that God means more to him than even his own flesh and blood. No mistaking that. Isaac would have never forgotten. Oh, you want to know about my dad? Oh, my dad... He was faithful to God. He loved God. How do I know that? I remember it. Let me tell you what he did one day. You see, he had that, and that would stick with him for the rest of his life. Question, parents. What Mount Moriah experiences are you creating in your homes? What is it that you're doing so that when your children are grown and you're dead and gone... If somebody asks them about you, they'll be able to say, oh yeah, mom and dad love the Lord. No question about that. Because I remember the time when, when what? Do your children have something? Can, can they put fill in that blank there? What is it that you have given to them for them to hold on to long after you're dead and gone? What can they hold on to that convinces them that God meant everything to them? We need to be creating those Mount Moriah experiences. We, we need to brainstorm. If you don't have something that just naturally comes to mind, then go home and think about it and brainstorm and spend a few weeks, a month or whatever, and figure out something that you're going to do in your family that will convince your children you love God supremely. What's at stake? Your children. There's somebody after them. Uh, A a world, a secular, godless society is racing for your children and they'll destroy them if they get their hands on them. We've got to protect them. We've got to be the kind of parents that we need to be to keep them from Athaliah getting a hold of them. And here's the second thing. Not only do we need moms and dads uh, to raise children, but we need the church. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, and I understand, and, and all this has to be taken into context, of course, but I've heard people say for years, uh, hey, it's not the church's job to raise your children. I, I understand that. And it's not, but it is sort of. Primary responsibility belongs to mom and dad, but... But let me remind you of what else the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says, The church, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. The church has a responsibility to uphold the truth. To whom? 
To me, yes. To you, yes. What about to our children? Yes. It's the church's job to teach our children the truths of God. So yeah, it's mom and dad's responsibility primarily, and it's not the church's primarily. Parents have a special responsibility there, but the church does as well have responsibility to our young people, to our children. Um, Acts 20 in verse 35, I'll turn there if you can, just real quickly. I want you to see something there. On this passage, or in this passage, um, Paul has met with the elders at Ephesus. They had met kind of at Miletus, and it was the last time he was ever going to talk to them. He knew that uh, he would never see them again. He's worked with this congregation for a number of years, and he loved these men, worked with them day and night. And so he wanted to have a final goodbye as he went on his way. And, and he gave them a number of instructions, and he gave them several warnings as well. But one of the instructions he gives is in verse 35. He said, listen, guys, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He told the elders, men, listen, I've told you this. I'm going to tell you again. It's your job to support the weak. You know, the word that is translated weak has reference to those who are bereft of care. Somebody that it would fit an orphan, you know, those that are bereft of care and attention. How many are there people who don't have home lives like everybody would want them to have? Are, are there people that come in our range and sphere of influence that don't have the advantages that maybe some of us have had with moms and dads who were Christians and bringing us up and taking us to Sunday school and, 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 you know, taking us to Bible class on Wednesday night and, and we've had all this training, all the advantages, you know, there, there's some people like that, but not everybody is. And some people you might say are or have been bereft of care spiritual care, or they may have clothes on their back, but they haven't been cared for in terms of spiritual things. And the Apostle Paul said, I want you, men, I want you to take care of those who are weak, who are bereft of care. Someone has to care for them. What if mom and dad don't do their job? What, what if that first line of defense doesn't hold Athaliah at, at bay? Who else is going to pick up the banner and run with it? Who else is going to protect these children? The church. It's our responsibility. There are those who come to us uh, early in life, late in life, who in spiritual terms have been bereft of care. They're weak. Someone needs to strengthen them. Someone needs to care for them. And that responsibility was given to the church. And so, who's going to get our children? There's Athaliah, who would destroy them. And there's Jehoshaphat, who would intervene and save them. And I think, interestingly enough, why would Jehoshaphat think about this... Why would Jehoshaphat, 
risk her life, steal away into the palace, into the nursery, and take a child. You know what would have happened to her if she would have gotten caught? She would have lost her life. Why would she risk her life for someone else's child? That's the place in which the church finds itself. We should function like Jehosheba. Why would the church go through and make so many sacrifices for children of other people? They're not even my children. They're not. We, down those hallways right there, we have men and women who teach every Sunday and every Wednesday, and they teach children that are not theirs. Why would they spend all that effort and all that time teaching children who are not even theirs? Because they have the love that Jehoshaphat had. No, it's not, that, that child's not mine, but it's a child. And I can't just stand by. Someone has to help. And, and that's the role of the church. So in concluding, let's remember this. If Jehoshaphat doesn't get them, Athaliah will. Moms and dads, the spiritual well-being of your children takes priority over everything else. Don't lose sight of that. Too much is at stake. And church, we have a responsibility to others as well. Those who are weak, bereft of care, those who don't have the advantages that maybe we have or have had, let's step up to the plate and let's help because there's, there's Athaliah. And she would love to get our, her hands on our children, but we can't let that happen. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you take this opportunity to obey the gospel? Uh, maybe, maybe the world has gotten a hold of you. And maybe you realize it's time for me to do something. I need to give my life to God. I need to make him first in my life and, and live for him. That would be great. You would have 300 and some folks here this morning uh, giving praise to God on your behalf. If you need to be baptized into Christ, do that this morning. And if you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you just, I want to come, I want to start fresh today. I want to do better. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.